ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, welcome to the Stu Simpson podcast. And today we've got a very special guest indeed. He's definitely a VIP and quite literally a superstar. He won the hearts of the nation in Andrew Lloyd Webber's BBC musical talent competition, Superstar, back in 2012. And since then, he's wowed audiences as the son of God, the straight-laced Brad in the Rocky Horror Show, and of course, the pinnacle of musical theatre itself, the Phantom of the Opera. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Ben Forster. Hello. Oh, very much. What a lovely introduction, Stuart. Thank you very much. Well, I've been uh, in front of a microphone now and now and again, now and again. But you have yourself quite a lot. I think more than me, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite used to having a mic stuck in my face or, or on my face or yeah. in my hair or something. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be a thing with um, people from the northeast. They go, "You're you're a Geordie or a Macam or or somebody." And yeah, have a microphone, talk or sing or do something with it. <laughs> well, we I think we've just got like a we've got that lyrical sound, haven't we? Ah. I think we just. We sound nice talking. We sound nice singing. I think most people can sing, can't they, from from in the north? Yeah. And well, Welsh people are good singers, aren't they? Yeah. When I first moved to London, I got asked if I was Welsh. So I don't know if there's something... I always daily get asked if I'm Welsh. Yeah. I always go, oh, are you Welsh? I think it's because we sing. We sing uh, our words. Yeah. So, you know, when we're talking, it's quite animated and it's quite up and down. And, you know, we're very expressive with the way mm. we speak. And uh, when you think about Welsh people, oh, they're really expressive as well. Yeah, you know, yes, they are. Yeah, so it's like, it's, uh, I think it's just a similar dulcet tone. I wonder if there's something geographically, I mean, that's one side of the country and where the other, so who knows. Looking back in your career, it wasn't an overnight success story, was it? I mean, can you tell where it all began? God, I mean, you know what? Really, when I look back, I suppose it started in Amateur Dramatic Society in Sunderland, in Seam. Um, you know, 1980s, going there on a Thursday night and and learning how to sort of learn in the craft, really, mm. uh, from brilliant local people. And then suddenly becoming, you know, involved in school. Then uh, I got my auntie, my aunt, my cousins had an agent and I got an agent. So I, um, I got the same agent as my cousins and I went for a few TV things and got them, commercials and very very small parts on like northern dramas and stuff from being like 10 to 13 then I had a brilliant music teacher that said I must audition for the National Youth Music Theatre and I did and that was my first awakening to sort of being surrounded by people that were like me people that wanted to act and sing and talk about musicals and things Um, and I just loved it I really fell in love with it there and it was there that I heard people talking about big London drama schools and scholarships and things. So, oh, that's the only way I'd ever be able to do it. So it really started young for me. I moved to London when I just turned 17 um, and, and went to Italia Conti, which is sort of one of the most world famous sort of drama schools, but mm. very, very lucky because I got a scholarship. And within a few years, I'd sort of made my West End debut by 18. And it sort of started there. But it was in the ensemble and, you know, I worked my way up and I worked for years on so many different shows, which we'll probably talk about and stuff. But, yeah, it just start, really it started as a kid and it started as a hobby. So what was the TV show that was the, one, the first TV show that you did in the Northeast? Oh, I think I was um, Jimmy Nails or I was Jimmy. I was in Spender. Oh, I meant Spender with Jimmy Nail. And it was I think I was his girlfriend's son or his, a maybe a lady of the night son. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I remember I was quite young. I just remember being on set 
and filming her. And then we used to do all the um, Catherine Cookson films. And I always used to be like one of the urchins running across the road or the call boy that got stuck down in the mine or something happened to or a cart rode over him or something. So it was just tiny little parts and lots of extra work mm. as well uh, when I was a kid. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the parts got bigger and better at school and things like that. But the commercial, I did a really cute commercial for um, Newcastle Building Society. Oh, where little kids and it's on my instagram wall actually if anyone wants to look it's hilarious i think i was only 10 and it's two little kids arguing about who has the best dad basically yeah and that was me uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm 43 and i'm still an urchin <laughs> what advice would you give to anybody who's just starting out these days i mean look it's such a different business it is 20 nearly 25 years ago 24 years ago when i first moved to london it's a different world it's a different business, it's a completely different show business. But I think that the rule for success probably stays the same. And it is the desire to do it and keep doing it and not and 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 taking all the gnaws and all the knockbacks and all the sort of things that will destroy a normal human being and thinking I can rise above it and I will get my moment and I will experience what I want to experience and I will get from life what I want and just going with that I think you know it's it's a really really tough world and I think you have to be really hard so I would say learn to have a really thick skin and really really make sure that you adore this industry and what you do and whatever channel in the industry you've chosen needs to be your sort of dream because you will just get a million knockbacks so you've got to really love it to enjoy it. Yeah. So do you think focusing on a specific area is a better way forward than kind of like, because I've had quite a scattergun approach to, to my career because I've, I've done yep. filming and work, um, stage work, and but also art and, and a number of different things. So would you recommend just actually just sticking to one path? I don't know. I mean, look, some people are just brilliant at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I always knew that I wanted to sing and act. For me, I wanted to be Jesus. I wanted to be the phantom. I wanted to let the people in the auditorium sort of go on a big journey and and uh, and feel the emotion of a music that a musical brings. Um, you know, I also love music, but I'm not. I don't think I've ever had the desire to really be a pop star or to go into movies and be an actor. You know, I wouldn't want to just be in a play mm. at the moment where I am in my head is that I still don't want to just be an actor. So actually I've just never tried. I've never, I don't want to be on telly uh, or Coronation Street or, you know, on a big new drama. Uh, that doesn't excite me. Hmm. What excites me is singing. So I don't know, look, you're brilliant at everything. You you do, yes, you've scattered yourself all around, but look at your artwork and your career and your music and your poetry and all that sort of stuff. I've just never really, I've never really, went out of what I do and I don't know whether that I don't know if that's just focused my brain a bit more maybe I don't know that's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just it's, I've just always wondered kind of um because I really appreciate what you do I mean I was on the on the way to work one night uh, I was getting the the 25 the night bus or the, to Tottenham Court Road and then I saw this the big poster for Elf and oh yeah I was like 
there's my mate, he made it. I was really, I was really quite chuffed. I felt quite proud of you. So I was just like, I mean, because we don't know each other that well, but I knew you from the village and you lived opposite my house and stuff. Uh, and I was just like, yeah. And that really kind of inspired me in a sense to kind of go, well, actually, I've just got to keep going. Do you realise when you're doing these things that it is an inspiration to other people? I think I do. We spend so much time in our own heads as mm. sort of as performers and it's you're always questioning what you're doing. And even, you know, being headlining the O2 Arena or doing, you know, Elf and being having a 50-foot size picture of you on Tottenham Court Road, you still don't really ever think that you've made it. I don't know why and I don't know whether it's I, I you always just think oh that's a really good job and I'm really lucky to do this job it's not that that's me or that's you know it wasn't Ben Forster that was there as the 50 foot person it was elf it was an elf you know it, it's indifferent if it's yeah. if it's someone else no I never really see success like that um it's a there are there have been definite moments, but I never really feel the moments until after they've happened. I never really fully appreciate because also when you're in a show, it's quite terrifying. And like when you're being led down the back um, corridors of the Auto Arena onto the stage, and you can hear twenty four thousand people, you know, whispering and being busy, and you can hear this arena. Actually, it's terrifying. So you don't really take moments and you're thinking, right, what's my line? What am I doing? When am I doing this? What did I do wrong yesterday? I need to make sure I don't do that and I don't have to do that. And the note from the director and Andrew Lloyd Webber's note said I shouldn't do this and that and that. So I've got to remember that tonight and blah, blah. So you just don't get sometimes a moment to fully appreciate it. It's yeah. not until you go back to your hotel room and you go, oh my God, like how did I get a stand ovation in the middle of the song? How did that happen? You know, how have I just met Bono? How have I just... You know, it's just all crazy things that could happen to you within a job. I never really feel them until after. It's bizarre. So does that feel, I don't know, do you meditate at all? I don't, no. no. I've got a quite a strange brain because I don't feel, like I don't, I feel very lucky. My, my, my brain feels very like black and white. I just know what I'm feeling all the time and I know where my head's at, I think, which is a really, uh, I feel very, very lucky for it. But yes, I never really desire that. I never really want to turn off or switch off from it. Yeah. Actually, so. <laughs> that's great. No, that's really that sounds very very healthy. But where do you think that came from? I mean, because I love your mom and dad. They're great people, and they're just some, actually two of the nicest people I've ever met. And they've just got big hearts, and you can tell that when when you meet them. <laughs> do you think that was a grounding factor for your success in the sense that you've got? that um that foundation there for you 100% the it's where you're from and it's who's brought you up 100% I think that my mum and dad are amazing people yeah I've never really believed the hype of the industry you know I've got friends that have achieved amazing things and I've met people along the way that have achieved amazing things and some of them are absolute idiots and the ones that have remained my friends are the brilliant ones. And it's all the people with the feet on the ground. They've usually got great parents or a great sister or great friends around them and people that, you know, look at the end of the day, it's our job. It's not actually, it's the lifestyle, the lifestyle we've chosen, but we should never believe the hype. You're only ever as good as your last thing. And it can all just appear quite quickly as can life. You know, everything can change in life, I think. So things change every we tap around the corner sometimes. So I think it's just about enjoying where you're at at the time and 
and making sure that you're having a nice time. Did you always think that this was your path, that this was the way you were going to go? I could picture my life, I think, when I was 10, when I was eight years old and when I was 13. I always knew that it would be, uh, that I would be doing what I do. Um, and I think it was because I was so obsessed with it. I'm quite, I've got quite an obsessive personality. So when I get something in my mind or when I want something, I don't mind working really hard to get it, whether that's like a, you know, a small thing, a big thing, a big achievement, or whether it's what I want for dinner. I will decide what I want usually before I get it. And then I'll just spend my whole day trying to get that. Um, so I think that's probably um, helped me. But yeah. It sounds like you're no. really working with the law of attraction there, that you kind of you know what the law of attraction. I do, and I think that it's kind of my mum's motto, actually. My mum's always told me that. She said, just what you know, manifesting is a word that I've known since I was two or three years old, I think. You know, manifest it, make it happen, make sure you get what you want, make sure with it, you know, and, and with that, I think it just comes a belief. And, you know, the biggest thing that my mum taught me that I think is why my head is normal, is that everything is sort of meant to be. So every time you get a knockback, because I've, I've got such a great self-belief in my ability and who I am as a person, if someone says no to me or I miss an opportunity, this crazy um, ego kicks in and I go, oh, that's obviously not, can't be for me. Yeah. Oh, there's something so much bigger waiting. And it's, I know that sounds so obtuse, but it actually is the way I believe. So even some really big opportunities that have left me, some big moments in my life that have just not happened. Yes, of course, initially it's devastating, but then my brain goes, I must go, I'll probably go back to London and then this will happen. And I, it's so easy to get over stuff mm. when you have, when you believe that way. And I actually do, but it was my mum that sort of instilled that in me, I think. Because I've, I've um, you auditioned for the X Factor years ago yeah. and that must have been a bit crushing when you because you got through the boot camp and everything yeah it was right through to the I got cut just before the judge's house I think mm. I think um but you know it wasn't because I just I'm I was auditioning for two or three things a week and not getting them and actually the reason why I didn't get through I think is because I was too blase you know on in the interviews when they were like what does this mean to you and I was like, well, it's just another audition, you know, or where are your parents? Oh, they're at home because it's just another audition for me. I audition all the time. I'm currently in Thriller Live, the musical and blah, blah, blah. So that wasn't exciting. I didn't give them, I was excited by it and I would have liked the opportunity, of course, but my approach was too relaxed because I've got this stupid self-belief that just everything's meant to be and I'm going to have a lovely life. The way that I saw it was like, you're doing your job and part of that job is to turn up for auditions and things. And as like Holly Willoughby was doing the presenting and things and it seemed to me that I was just confused that you didn't have the support of your parents there. You didn't have the support of the friends. So we'll make a big thing of it. He's on his own. Yeah, and, uh, that's it, what it was. But actually in my brain, I was like, well, I'm not going to make mum and dad pay a hundred pounds on the train to come all the way down to London to watch me audition for X Factor when I'm going for like, I'm singing around the, piano with like you know amazing composers and, and auditioning every day for West End musicals so it didn't feel like a huge 
even though it was a huge opportunity and it was my missight that really I could have played the game. And actually I did play the game later in the other TV show. I was like, okay, let's play the game. I'll say that it's the most important day of my life because it was, and it is. And look, a TV show can change your life. It yeah. did to me. So maybe I was a little bit short-sighted there. But you, I think you probably would have learned from the, oh, it sounds like you learned from that thing with the X Factor and then you've taken that on board and then you've moved forward with Superstar. Absolutely. That was exactly it, Stuart. 100%. You know, you learn. It was a different world for me. The TV world I had no experience of. So, of course, when you go into an audition, usually you, you know, shake hands with everyone there. You act nice and calm, even though you're scared inside and you do your best and you come across to you want to come across to everyone like you will be the best person to work with on a job. And, you know, that. I went in with that approach and I hadn't really ever been in the TV world. And it wasn't until I didn't get that. I was like, oh, why? Oh, that's because I didn't make any big deal of it. I didn't give them any of the lines they wanted. You know, I didn't talk really about my family or, you know, all that sort yeah. of stuff. It was, you've got to, you've got to give people what they want as well. Yeah. Producers and in reality TVs, I think it's a very, very different thing to West End shows and to, putting stuff yeah. on the stage it's completely because my experience is very small in comparison i did and draws off on the on channel four and things and because i've done other things before like the weakest link and other bits and bobs here and there i've at each step i've learned well if i say like for example i said oh i'm like the billy elliott of painters for a first so and they went that's brilliant. Well, so that got me through to doing the doing the TV show. And when I got onto the show, they tried to goad me into saying it again. I just never got around the opportunity to saying it. Um, yeah. But I've, but it's, so it's a different world. I mean, the whole the TV things a completely different experience. And yeah. I think it's really really manipulative. It's a reality TV is quite a manipulative thing. Uh, and and there's been at least 43 suicides around the world for people connected to reality TV. So because mental health is a very important thing to me. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering how you feel about um, should there be legislations around people doing these shows? And because they're often like there's the others, there's the, the winners who do really well, um, who are looked after. But there's also the, the other side of it as well, mm -hmm. where, pe where people um, don't do so well and then they, they sort of spiral down. Do you think there should be some sort of legislation like through equity, perhaps? Look, I mean, safeguarding people. And people's emotions in a world where you are playing on people's emotions I don't know how you could safeguard that mm. I think it's I think obviously the aftercare really it's aftercare that is more important you know coming out of a a, C, a series or a tv show um and and being cared for even just a six-month investment in someone going, are you okay? How are you getting on? How are you dealing with Instagram? How are you dealing with fame? How are you dealing with the rejection? You know, yes, that could be better. Of course, look, 43 people shouldn't have killed themselves, should they? It's a really hard thing to deal with. It's like, it's the worst version of the playground yeah. bullying that you could possibly get when you come off of a TV show. That is... It plain and simple, whether you are standing in Tesco's queue and someone is going, oh, that's the person there. Oh, it looks different. Oh, did it? You know, whether you are in a cab and you're being talked to by someone you don't want to be talked to, whether you are online and someone's being a keyboard warrior and being trolling you, you know, there's it is a really, really hard thing to deal with. And 
but I, do, I mean, I've, I've got no idea of the answer because I've got no idea how I would fix it. I, I, I don't know how, apart from not make those shows, but, you know, people also want to be on those shows. Yeah. People be involved and people want to watch those shows. It's a, it was it's, a, that was the, that's the most difficult question in the whole things I wanted to ask you because because <laughs> there is a, there is always a, there's a, there's all, in life there's always dark and light and I think that's kind of like the darker side of um of success you've got the the other side of things mm. which, um so but it's important to kind of keep all those things in mind I think tell me right, we're looking the other side of, of that now which is your massive success in in superstar how how, yeah. did that, how did that feel going through all of that and then winning the show at the end I mean God it was terrifying it really really was and it was really really difficult um but it was brilliant and I obviously would not change it for the world it changed my life really did change my life overnight I met the most amazing people I did the most amazing job and I was able to showcase myself truly showcase myself in a role like that Um, and I don't think that without the tv show I would have I don't think I would have been picked I don't think I would have been picked necessarily by the cast and directors or the directors uh, in a normal room scenario it was them getting to know me and getting to know how versatile my talent can be and things like that 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 helped get me that role and then of course the great British public because they voted for me so it was an it was the start of an amazing journey you know I'd been yes I'd been in the West End for 12 years before that so I'd I do feel like I paid my dues and I'd sort of built up to I'd, I'd built my talent personally to the top that it could have been at that point you know my voice worked I, I knew how to act I felt confident like I could go in that competition and and really give it my best and um and that's what I did uh but god it was terrifying I mean I remember like standing in my dressing room watching the tv live as a no- on a normal telly and then like it gone to commercial break and then them coming and knocking on my door they're like oh you're up next and I like walked down at the studio on the crowd and the cheering and the lights and you literally I jumped into the telly that is when people go I wonder what it'd be like to jump into the telly or when you're little and you're like look around the back of the telly see if you can get in I've actually had the experience of just jumping in the telly um but it was brilliant and uh as for for all it was terrifying and scary it opened up all the doors and it just shone a massive big spotlight on my face in all the talent in the UK it was good (laughs) yeah and is Tim mentioned as much of a genius as he comes across? Oh my God, Tim is amazing. That was one of the highlights of the job was just being on a tour bus and hanging out and, you know, getting to know Tim as well as I did over those few years. Um, he's just one of the most amazing people I've ever met, ever, full yeah. stop. He's incredible. I mean, but I don't... He, he's wise. He's like, he's just an amazing human being his opinions and stuff, we don't always match, actually. Mm-hmm. We don't always, um, there's loads of things I believe that he doesn't believe, loads of things I think that he doesn't think. What I really learned quickly is that you just can't argue with him. I love a debate and I yeah. love talking and I love talking stuff over, but he remembers every piece of information and I actually don't. I just know what I want to yeah. say, what I think, and I say it. Whereas he goes, yeah, but what about like in the book, and like it was written in like 1971 by like John blah 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 and he states in that book that this blah 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 can't happen so then that's it it's true it's science it can't happen and you're like but how do you know that how do you remember that how can you just quote a line 
from a book from 1979. Uh, uh, he's just an amazing, incredible person, M- amazingly talented as well. Oh my god! Yeah. So would he ever hold this? Because uh, he's written Matilda, his version of Matilda. Would he ever hold a part side for you if something else came up in the future? Do you think you might be in a Tim Minchin show? I mean, probably. I think he's, you know, he's a fan of what I do, and he's, he's. Um, give me lots of compliments throughout the years and stuff so and he's support he's seen and supported my career since you know he's been to see most of the shows I've been in as well and he's a friend so I don't know I mean not that I want to get a job just because I'm a mate but um, <laughs> you never know do you depends if I get if I <laughs> if I go on the downward the downward spiral I don't, I don't think I think that's never gonna, I think you're on the up and up all of the time by the looks of it <laughs> do you know what's what's coming up next for Ben what's happening for you well, actually, I just took a role as the creative director uh, for a company in London, and um, it's moving into a little bit of a different lane alongside my career. I'm not going to walk away from that, but um, um, it's quite nice being a creative director. I've I produced a show at the Royal Albert Hall in July, um, and I was able to dream big. I got the best choreographer in the world, Stephen Meir, and... <gasps> amazing ensemble of people and we had a huge 50 uh, piece orchestra a huge lineup of uh west end talent um and we just put this show on that was just one of my dream things to do at the royal albert hall and um we've got another show about to be announced next week which is exciting at the royal albert hall again um and yeah just working on some really really nice bits of entertainment and and shows and potential tours and West End shows and, and just using sort of the knowledge that I've picked up for the last 24 years of the people and the business and the understanding of it and, and seeing how far I can run in that lane. And I think that's quite an exciting prospect for me. So it's quite nice focusing on that a little bit. And is that very different from performing? It is, yeah. I mean, I still actually performed at the Royal Albert Hall because ah, I couldn't not sing this. Yeah. But I did say one picture that looked really iconic with a spotlight in you, and you, I just looked mm, astonished. That must have been fun. Uh, like it's amazing. And then again, that's one of them. It's one of them nights when you're in your own head. It does, of course, feel incredible to sing at the Royal Albert Hall. So don't. This is not to be said the wrong way, but you go on there and you're kind of thinking about, oh, my throat's a bit dry. Can I hear the sound? Can I see them? the conductor am I in time am I in the right spotlight and then you finish the song you get the applause you walk off and you go oh god that was amazing so it's really hard that some stuff can when we're talking about like does it feel amazing it's amazing looking at that picture because I look at the and I go that is me in one big spotlight from the very back of the Royal Albert Hall in the Royal Albert Hall singing a song singing one of the best songs ever Gethsemane in a show that I produced with a fully amazingly sold out audience all sitting next to each other again after this horrific 18 months, you know, all loving the show and being back in a theater. And it's just an amazing picture for me that it signifies so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really, I'm really enjoying the sort of exploration of where, where my brain can lead me and not necessarily just my talent. It's quite a nice thought for the rest of my life to have that. <laughs> it's, it's good to know that a gig's a gig at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you're playing to like 10 people or 10,000 people. As long as you give it your all, that's the most important thing. Uh, look, in my mid-20s, I performed at pubs 
all over London, literally, probably isn't a pub that I wouldn't have performed in. Because during, in between West End shows, um, I used to make my rent by singing. I always thought I'm not going to ever get a job. If I need to money, I'm just going to go out and sing. And that's what I did. I used to just go and do a free gig at a pub and be like, if you love the gig I'm about to do, book me again. And they always did. So I just always had gigs because I always used to get singing along and everyone stayed in the pub and got more drunk. And, and that's the way I lived my life for years. But some of the moments in the pub were as brilliant as performing at the O2 Arena. The were because yeah. it's like when you people it's just connecting to people so if you if you set up your gear in a pub and everyone's sitting chatting blah blah, blah and then you sing your first song and no one's really listening you sing your second song and you sort of engage one table and they're like oh i love this song oh wow what a voice and they clap then with three or four songs you turn a room around and then it becomes a sing-along a pub sing-along that is like there's not much better stuff that you can do it's the same thing. It's just the same mm. feeling. Just doing it to 25 people or you're doing it to 28,000 people. Yeah. I, I did that last weekend, so that's very reassuring. <laughs> it is. It doesn't yeah. get much better. You know that. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just give up now then. <laughs> Flat out. <laughs> just the feeling becomes a bit better at some point. That's all. <laughs> so how was it being the Phantom as well? That was, that was something because it's, it's such an iconic role. See, the Phantom, actually, that was full of amazing moments that I really felt because it's quite a, um, it's quite a solemn role. You don't really see anyone, only ever Christine on stage. And it's actually orchestrated backstage that because Michael Crawford was, it had some big stars in it, basically. Mm. It's orchestrated where the doors and the corridors to stage are kept free while the Phantom walks through. And in the 30-year sort of tradition, that never really changed. So there was a lot of times where you would go in to be the Phantom and I would not I would only see like my dresser and my wig uh, lady and the makeup artist. And then I'd see Celinda on stage. But in that, it gives you the most amazing time to be in the wing watching. Yes, sorry. In that time, it gives you um, amazing moments to sort of be silent and still. And there's lots of times where you're hidden on stage so I used to be hidden on stage a lot, watching what's happening on stage and watching the audience, but dressed as the phantom. And actually, it's like a real, real, real reality of sort of living in a role where you're sort of spying on people and you're listening. And then you, you really are aware that you're about to go out there and sing an incredible song or you're about to scare people or you're about to make the audience, you know, Ooh, or whatever it is and it was just a brilliant job I loved it and I was in the same dressing room as Michael Crawford and I remember the first night I put my I put my um costume on and the Phantom's always been in that dressing room and I just thought he did that one night that first night that he was given the costume he put it on he stood there in the mask and he would have looked in exactly the same mirror which was a big built mirror like a, a big three meter mirror yeah. on the wall I thought he would have looked at himself and thought, I'm going to go and do the Phantom of the Opera. And would, it, would he have known that it would have been there in 30 years' time and that I would be the 30th year one? Um, just full of beautiful moments and amazing moments with Andrew. I spent a lot of time with Andrew in that job, you know, working on the role and reworking the role uh, sometimes, you know, because when you do something eight times a week, 
roles can like change and that your opinion on them can change and you can add something one day that becomes a bit bigger the next day so actually it's really important that a director looks after a show like that because you've got to sort of remain in the same lane and Andrew was really one of those people for me he was really uh I worked with him a lot in that so it was really enjoyable experience on so many levels you really are the king of the West End when you're fancy. Yeah. Every night when you come forward and you get your standing ovation and you take those three bows, one to the right, one to the left and one in the centre, it's just like you're never going to get anything more magical. Yeah, it's it brilliant. Must, must fill your heart full of joy. It did. And I fully appreciated it every time, actually. It was, and I don't know whether it's because I was a little bit older, but I honestly really appreciated that role. Mm. Um, and a lot of the time you just kind of, running on it take you out and you're thinking oh my god i'm so excited for my chicken kiev (laughs) oh and watch big brother um you know and with phantom it's not like that i felt like i didn't want to leave the building was amazing speaking of andrew i should say sir andrew cinderella cinderella that looks very very exciting did were you there i was i went to the opening night the press night on wednesday i've got a really really close friend in that who's playing cinderella carrie hope fletcher who i've worked with before Mm. Um, and I knew a lot of the people involved and it's just lovely and it's brilliant. And you know what was so exciting is just being back in a theatre full of people that want to be in the theatre. You know, it's just so lovely. And the fact that Andrew has pushed so hard in the last 18 months to support theatre, to support the industry, to pressurise the government, to support us. And um, he's done an amazing thing. And in the middle of all that, wrote a musical. Um, and developed a musical and is giving chances to hundreds of people by employing them eight shows a week. He just needs to be lauded and lauded and lauded again. He's an amazing man, and I think what he does is brilliant. I only recently just come across the um, the American version of Cinderella musical with Julie Andrews. It's on YouTube. Uh, is there any similarities? No, it's completely <laughs> different. It's literally completely different. I'm not even going to give the ball... Uh, give a give a give the game away but it's completely different it was written by emerald fennell who uh, won the oscar last year and is also camilla in the crown mm-hmm. have you seen this scene yeah right. wow she's a great actress, but a really amazing writer and she also wrote killing eve oh and stuff. i love killing well, eve yeah brilliant so it's very wicked the sense of humor of the show it's funny and it's um very contemporary um and different you would never expect it Excellent. It's good. So do you th- yeah. so do you think that, that there's still a future for music theatre? Because obviously with everything that's happened over the pandemic, things have been very, very difficult for, for everybody who works in the industry. There is. Look, of course, there'll be there's huge things been affected. Venues and companies and production companies and you know, all these businesses that have been affected. One thing you'll never ever keep down are performers because we're artists. So we're never not going to want to create and the writers are never not going to want to write. And, you know, a, a good producer is never not want to produce because it's in their bones. People yeah. need to do this. It's part of like what we are and humanity and society and culture. And it's so important. There will never, ever be a time where there is no theatre because even when there was no theatre, we were on our laptops and computers and iphones performing and doing shows and streaming gigs and we were still creating and andrew was still writing a musical and the guy that lives in a house in glasgow was still writing his tv show you know all these people 
around the world create and they're never going to not create you just can't do that because we would all do it for free really so when you know yes it's a business but they'll always be entertainment 100 percent. the show must go on as they say and it says on your wikipedia page that you're also a singer songwriter was was (laughs) yeah was I've written songs in the past and I might be a songwriter again. You never know. Mm. But um, I just don't think they were very good. I like recording my voice and I like that process a lot. But to be a singer songwriter, it was a definite period of my life when I was singing around the pubs. It's because I was working on lots of music, actually, with different writers and stuff. Mm. And it might be that I never really gelled with anyone or or that it just wasn't meant to be. But it didn't feel like it was meant to be for me. And I had good people around me, you know. My manager had me and Amy Winehouse and Paloma Faith. Um, and those girls really made it. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> but, Just a tad. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think if it would have happened, it should have happened. And it didn't happen because I'm actually supposed to be Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I, I, I believe I'm, that as well, absolutely. I'm supposed to be Ben Forster, the West End's musical. You're allowed uh, to before. call yourself a star. It's fine. <laughs> Own it. You are one. It's amazing. What I've already asked you what's happening next. Um, are you happy with where things are going for you? Yeah, you know what? We're we're I'm really happy at the moment. Uh, there's so many aspects of my life that are in place, fully going to plan. You know, I love what we're doing with the house in the village and the country house properties and stuff. And it's been such a an amazing joy sort of journey. To, to bring that house back to life which yeah. is a thing to do me and Paul my partner are doing that and it's something that we love doing together and he's amazing at it Paul's doing an amazing job and he is he's absolutely exhausted but it is going to be so worth it and it is such a beautiful building that fully deserves to be restored and not just renovated absolutely um, oh, we're keeping every single detail and um, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous I can't wait to show you around oh I can't wait to see it Thank you so much for doing the podcast as well. It's been brilliant. So oh. any anybody else wants to find out anything more about you, where should they look? About oh, me, uh, social media is Ben Forster on Twitter, the Ben Forster on Instagram. Um, and if you want to follow the house, then it's the Country House Diaries on Instagram as well. Excellent. Oh, well, it's, it's been brilliant. Thank you ever so much. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully well, I'll see you back in the village soon. Oh, thanks, Stu. I can't wait to catch up with you. Yeah, lots of love. And... Uh, Take care, my friend. See you later. Bye. Bye.